Amen. Lord, there is no other God before you, beside you, or after you. Lord, we gather tonight to worship and honor your name. We pray, Lord, as we go to your word, that you would be our teacher tonight. And Father, we come not just to study a book, but Lord, to read the living, breathing word of God and have it impact and transform our lives and conform us more into your image. So Father, we ask that right now, Lord, our hearts would be open to receive from you, that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 5, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I appreciate those of you who are praying uh, for me and the other pastors. Uh, it was kind of a, it's a pretty neat time. Most of you know I have a real burden for other pastors, and both in the Calvary Chapel movement, but also here in Santa Cruz. And we spent all day yesterday and Monday just, uh, I think it was 18 or 19 senior pastors from all over Santa Cruz just praying. And it was great. It was a good time together. I got to know some guys I'd never met before. And I have a heart that we would be able to really encourage and minister to guys who are planting churches and things like that. And so I have a real heart for that. Some of the local guys don't have any assistant pastors and can't even really go on a vacation. And so we volunteered. We're going to be doing that soon where our assistant pastors are going to go over and teach the other churches in town so these guys can get away with their families and things like that. And, and just getting together. There's one church in Santa Cruz and we're all part of it. Amen. And we need to be praying more, especially in, during the week that is celebrating the sanctity of life that Santa Cruz County made a proclamation that we are a pro-baby-killing county. It was, if you read the paper today, it came out. Now here's the, here's the good news. God is in control. And God is still on the throne. And they can make all the silly proclamations in the world that they want. And we're going to just keep preaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. And the thing that's going to keep girls from having an abortion is them having a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's just keep praying and pray for PRC and other people in town who are doing a great work to reach these, these moms who are considering having abortions. I mean, you know what? That's something we need to be praying about. Amen? All right. First Samuel. Now, just to catch us up quickly, we've been looking at this time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Hannah had come, desperate for a child, cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you. God answered her prayer, gave her a son by the name of Samuel. Samuel was then brought as a young child and put into the care of Eli, the high priest. And as we know, Eli was not a very good high priest and he was an even worse father. Because he had Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, who were stealing from people, basically taking more than what belonged to them when people came to make their sacrifice, to the point where people didn't want to make sacrifices anymore. They were also sleeping with women that came to make the sacrifices. They were getting drunk. It was really a disaster. In the middle of all that, God spoke to Samuel to go and tell his, his, the high priest, Eli, his foster dad, if you will, hey, you know what? God is going to bring judgment upon your family because you have dishonored God. You've honored your children above the Lord. And he said, both your sons are going to die in a single day. And not only that, the line behind you will no longer serve as priests, and they're all going to die at a young age. And so as we saw a few weeks ago, certainly that's what happened. They went out into battle, and when they went out into battle, we know that they tried to sanctify their battle by taking the ark with them. So they carried the ark out with them into battle. The ark was supposed to only be in the Holy of Holies. It was a picture of the character of God. 
It was not to be moved. It was only to be seen by the high priest. There was supposed to be only the blood brought in there on the Day of Atonement, a representation of our Savior and certainly a picture of the cross. As we know, the three things inside this ark, this roughly four by three by three box, a little smaller than that, but roughly that size was a jar of manna because, again, he is the what? He is the bread of life. Also the rod of Aaron because he is the great high priest. And also the Ten Commandments because he is the fulfillment of the law. And so on top of that was the mercy seat. And they were to leave that in the Holy of Holies and it was not to be moved. And you know what happened? Sadly, they went out into battle. They did not pray. They were not seeking God. They were not walking with God. And they went out and fought the Philistines and they got whipped. And the Philistines, as we know, were a greater army, greater in number, greater in in power, and greater in technology. They had iron swords and iron shields and iron helmets. And so they were coming against this greater army, this greater physical army. And the only way we can defeat the greater physical army is if we're walking in the Spirit. But sadly, they were not. And they did not seek the Lord. Well, they lost the battle. 4,000 guys died in a single day. And they came back and said, we're going to force God's hand. We're going to take the ark and put the ark out in front of us. And that will make God give us the victory. Well, sadly, it did not make God give them the victory. On the contrary, they were wiped out. Hophni and Phinehas died in a single day. The ark was captured by the Philistines, who now have it in their care. And when the word came back to Eli that... His sons were dead. He didn't respond. He didn't really respond. But when they said that the ark had been captured, he fell over backward and died. And then Phineas's wife had a son, and she named him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Because without the ark, there would be no way to have a sacrifice. Without the ark, they would not have the glory of God dwelling with them. And sadly, it took years and years of them not walking with the Lord that eventually resulted in them having the glory depart from them. If you were here last week, real quickly, I titled the message, The Glory Has Departed, The Signs of Lost Intimacy, Reverence, and Desperation for God. And the first thing we saw is they went out into battle without the Lord. Guys, we need to wake up in the morning and start our day with the Lord. Amen? Before you walk out the door, spend time in the presence of Almighty God. We should not go out into battle, go out to work, go out to, the, you know, go out to school, or wherever we may be going without taking the Lord with us. Number two, blaming God for our failure and defeat. You know, in times of difficulty, we can do one of two things. We can turn to God or we can run from Him. And we can fall on our face before God, desperate for Him, or we can blame God for the consequences for our sin. Number three last time was putting our faith in the wrong thing. Remember it said last time they put their faith in it. They put their faith in it. It will save us, the ark. They had turned the ark into an idol. No different than the pagan idols of the Philistines. And they took that idol in their mind out in front of them. They called it it. It will save us. It cannot save you. Only he can save you. Amen? It's in him that we find peace. And then lastly... We saw the resulting anguish and consequences of living a life apart from God. So God's glory had departed from Israel and the nation had lost its intimacy and reverence and desperation for God. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. They became self-confident when they should have been broken and desperate. They ceased to take responsibility for their actions. They put their faith in the wrong things. And the result, as we saw last week, was the glory had departed from Israel. When the battle ended last week, and this will bring us up to this morning or this evening's text, the army had been defeated, the ark had been captured, 
The high priest and all his sons were dead. Israel was basically defenseless against any more attacks from the Philistines. And all of this was a result of God's chosen people having forgotten about God. You know what, guys? You're here on a Wednesday night, so I know I'm preaching to the choir. But man, we need to have a relationship with God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Amen? I mean, full tilt talking to God. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. How do you do that? You begin your day, you spend your day, and you end your day in His presence. All the results of God's chosen people, the end result was they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so too, as we cease to be humble and broken, we will start doing what is right in our own eyes. God's power and illuminating glory was no longer evident in their lives. But praise God, as we're going to see tonight, no matter what God's people do, God's glory will never be diminished. Do you understand that? You need to understand that God wants to use us in glorifying and bringing glory and honor to his name but even if we don't glorify his name the bible says the rocks will cry out because he is god and that will never be diminished because that's who he is the bible says the heavens declare the glory of god even when we're sick god is glorified through it it said of lazarus this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of god that the son of god might be glorified The Bible tells us that if we don't worship and witness again, even the rocks will cry out His name. Even as man rebels against God, God will continue to be glorified. But what an incredible blessing when we get to be a part of Him being glorified. I want to be a part of it. And as God is glorified in us, He pours out His blessings on us. It says in Psalms 84, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And as we do all things for His glory, it also says in 1 Corinthians, whatever therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Guys, we need to be living that God will be glorified. Amen? But why Israel fell off, fell away, is they stopped worrying about God being glorified and they started worrying about their own comfort, their own will, and their own desires. The Bible says to seek first the kingdom of God. Delight yourself in the Lord. We begin by focusing on Him. We can know that one day we will experience the fullness of His glory in heaven. And one of my favorite verses to think about when I think about seeing God in His glory is actually an odd verse maybe to think of, but it's where Stephen is being stoned to death. In Acts 7. And it says, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? But when Stephen looked up, he was standing. And I believe that he was standing up for Stephen. I believe he was you know, a standing ovation for one who was laying down his life for the Lord. God's glory is not dependent upon us, as we'll see tonight. But oh, how glorious it can be when we participate in it, when He is glorified in us and through us. I'm going to ask you a question. Is God's glory departed from your walk and from your life? Are you no longer walking in intimacy and reverence and desperation for Him, but are you living according to your own strength? My prayer for all of us is that we would reflect Him more than we ever have before. In a county that is so far away from God, where less where in single-digit percentage, less than 10% of the people in this county go to a church, any kind of Christian church. And you know what? That means that God's called us to be salt and light. So, context tonight, we'll look at the verses. Israel, all but destroyed and done. 
do again to their own rebellion. While we know that God in His grace is not through with them, imagine how the children of Israel must have felt at this point. Army defeated, high priest and his sons dead. Some, men, some might have even thought it was probably good that Hophni and Phinehas were dead. But the ark had been captured, and what it meant was no sacrifices, no intercession. God's glory had departed. Israel's left alone on its own, given what they've been asking for. By the way, every person who goes to hell will have asked to go there thousands of times. You say, well, Pastor Dave, how is that possible? They've told God repeatedly, I want to be separated from you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And eventually God will give them their wish. Guys, may we not ever have separation from God, even as believers in our walk with Him. May we be so desiring to walk in the center of His will. Think about the few remnants of godliness that were left in Israel during this time. People like Samuel and Hannah and others who certainly loved the Lord with all that was going on. How could they commune with God without the ark? How could they make sacrifice and atonement for their sins? The answer is they couldn't. It was impossible. With no ark, no sacrifice. No ark, no atonement. No ark, no glory of God in their presence. That's why when it was taken away, she said, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Now the ark is a type or a picture of the cross. So for you and I today, no cross, no atonement. No cross, we cannot enter into His glory and know Him in intimate fellowship. This is why it was so important understanding that the ark had been taken away. Now, how are the Philistines feeling right about now? They're feeling pretty good, aren't they? You know what? We are not only the strongest, the biggest, and the baddest, but now we just whipped you and we got your God. They they thought they had the God of Israel. The God of Israel had helped The children of Israel overcome Egypt, now is in their possession, and they thought, man, we got our God, who whipped their God, plus we got their God. Plus we got all the, we're we're, we're all about it. While Israel's feeling defeated, the Philistines are feeling very prideful and very good about themselves. I'm taking all this time to give us context, to help us better understand as we go through the text tonight, the pride does indeed go before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This mighty army is about to fall. They'd captured Israel's God, the Ark of the Covenant, but they thought, while they they thought they're invincible, they're in for a rude awakening. So if you're a note taker tonight, let me give you the title and three points. Serving God my own way. Boy, is that the mantra of Santa Cruz County, huh? I serve God my own way. You know, me and God have a special relationship. I meet God out on my surfboard. I meet God on the golf course. I meet God, right, and you know, God is at my, my whim. You know, however I want to reach out to God, that's the relationship I have with God. And while it sounds so accepting and inclusive to have that attitude, what it ultimately is is blasphemous. Is we don't make the rules for our relationship with God, we follow His rules. Amen? He's God, He makes the rules. Amen? But the rules He gives us are wonderful. And so we want to follow them. So how, how does this manifest in our lives when I start serving God my own way? Three things. Number one, I don't give God His proper place in my life. How do I know I'm serving God my own way? I don't give God His proper place in my life. Number two, I expect God to blend into my way of life. I just keep living my life and God, I fit God in wherever. I don't give Him the proper place and then I expect Him to kind of just blend into my life without me having to change. And then thirdly, rather than repent, I try to remove the source of conviction. When conviction comes, I want to get it out of my sight so I don't feel like I'm sinning anymore. 
rather than falling on my face before the Lord. So serving my, God my own way, I don't give God His proper place in my life. I expect God to adapt to my way of life. And then third, rather than repent, I try to remove the source of conviction. Let's begin in verse 1. It's a short chapter, just 12 verses. Serving God my own way, I don't give God His proper place in my life. Where He belongs is on the throne. Look what it says, verse 1. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Now remember the Philistines again, real quick. They're mentioned 150 times in First and Second Samuel. They were originally a seafaring people who had conquered the Mediterranean coast. And they had five major cities where there were like fortresses where most of their people dwelt. And their whole plan was to you know, conquer you know, everything around them. And so from a physical perspective, these guys were these militarily superior guys. They now had the ark of God in their possession. And they had just won a great and a mighty battle. And they bring the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. We talked about the ark of God, how significant that it was. And Israel, sadly, was so far away from God, they had brought the ark out into battle. They put their faith in it, and they lost. And now the ark is in the possession of their arch enemies, the Philistines. Ebenezer means stone of help. And that's really named because later there's going to be a battle there that God's going to bring them victory. And Ashdod was one of the Philistine five fortress cities. It was about 50 miles southwest of Shiloh where the ark had been. So they traveled a long way to bring that ark to where they wanted it to be in one of their headquarters, in one of their fortresses. So they were taking the ark of God and, put, and, and deciding how the ark of God would be, where it would be put, how it would be used. And again, much like many people today get a Jesus of their own creation and decide how they're going to have a relationship with Him, what kind of relationship they're going to have, when they're going to allow Him to have input or not have input in their life. And it's really not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a Jesus of their own creation. In capturing the ark, it was to them like capturing the God of Israel. And they bring Him down this long trip. Verse 2. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon. Now, Dagon was the main of the many idols that the Philistines worshipped. Now, Dagon is the father of Baal. We've all heard of Baal, right? Well, Dagon is, is even greater in their mind than Baal. He's the greatest of all their gods. Dagon was half fish, half man. Their statues, you know, look like a mermaid, I guess, right? A half fish, half man god. And why would it be a half fish, half man? These guys were people that were seafarers, and they believed that this was the God that brought great blessing to them and great multiplication of their crops. The word Dagon in, the, the, in Hebrew means grain or vegetation. So they believed this was a God who brought great wealth to their crops and fish multiply greatly in the ocean. And so this was their, their fish God, their fish man God. And that's the God they have set up in this temple. And they want to bring the ark of God down and put, him in, put our God in the house of Dagon. Now our God belongs in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And they want to take Him out of the Holy of Holies and bring Him into the temple of Dagon. Now again, this is trying to take God and put Him where He doesn't belong. Trying to manipulate God. It's interesting that Dagon had already not done too well for them. 
Back in Judges 16, if you were here, the Philistines praised their god Dagon for delivering Samson into their hands. That, that happened. And then a few days later, the futility of their god didn't turn out too well because he brought down the entire temple of Dagon, killing thousands of people within the temple, remember? So they praised their god Dagon, but we're going to see that they, they have a reason they like Dagon. And it's not probably what you think. Now look what it says here. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. So they not only brought the ark into the temple of Dagon, they took the ark and they literally set it at the feet of Dagon. And what they were trying to say was, our God is greater than your God. Your God is at the feet of our God, submitted to our God. The ark of the covenant, the God of Israel, is submitted to the fish God, Dagon. Now what's interesting, there are no Israeli armies coming after the, you know, the ark to retrieve it back. So God, and they're all, they've been in rebellion for the most part. They're outside of God's will. They've been defeated. So God is going to have to take care of it Himself. And do you know that God is fully capable of doing that? He can do it with us or without us. And there is a time when God is going to raise up, and we see this here. The God suffers long, but He won't suffer always. And the Philistines have captured the ark, and this is blasphemous, taking the ark and putting the ark at the feet of the fish god. You can almost imagine God in heaven watching this happen. The Philistines traveled all this distance, and now they've got their, you know, man, look at us. Look how, how we got it going on, man. Two gods are better than one. We've got them both. But we're going to find out that this, too, is going to be an act of futility. So too today, people try to serve God in their own way. God's not given His proper place in their lives. He's not the priority. They try to take God and make God submit to them instead of them being submitted to God. Just like they brought into the temple of Dagon and put the ark at the feet of the fish God, we often take God and put Him at our feet. And we say, God, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to go my way and I'm going to do my will. And by the way, when I need help, just stay right there. So I can run and get, hook up some help from you when I need it. But you know what, Lord? I want to kind of live my own life, my own way, be my own master, sit on my own throne, but having a nearby will be a good thing. This is a picture, again, of what's happening. That they're taking the Ark of the Covenant and trying to have this picture of Almighty God being submitted to the dead idol of the Philistines. Again, may we never fall into the trap of trying to be above or even beside God. He's on the throne of our lives, not us. We're not to slip Him in even below the other things stored in my temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can't just add the true and living God to a pagan temple filled with idols and expect God, who's sharing the space with these false idols, to act like it's okay. True, true Christianity is not making Him just Savior, but making Him Lord. Amen? It's not just having the get out of hell free card and having God on hold when we need Him, but it's saying, Lord, you're not at my feet, I'm at yours. Lord, you're on the throne. I serve you. I follow you. I worship you. Your name be magnified in everything that I say and do, Lord. My life is yours. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. May you be glorified in my life. That needs to be our heart. And we see just the opposite happening here with the Philistines. So who's on the throne of your life? So serving God in my own way, number one, I don't give God His proper place in my life. And we see that example here in the Philistines, and now we're going to see just how well this works out for them. Look at verse 3. 
And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. They went to bed at night, and the ark was at the feet of Dagon, and they wake up in the morning, and Dagon is fallen face first, and his prostrate out in front of the ark. Now what's interesting about this is initially they must think it just accidentally happened. Because they go in and pick up their God and put him back up. By the way, if you've got to pick up your God, not much of a God. Amen? You've got to pick him up and dust him off and, you know, glue stuff back together. That's not good. So they pick up, and again, here, what a great lesson to find out. Ooh, something's fishy about this, right? My fish God. Something stinks. He fell over. I mean, something's up here. The fish God fell down as soon as we brought the ark in. And again, they came in probably to worship. Or the priests came in, right? And look up and their God's lying flat on the ground before the Ark of the Covenant. Though Israel had faithlessly failed God and God's glory had departed from Israel, God was more than able to glorify Himself among the Philistines and their pagan gods. And He made this nothing statue bow down and worship Him. Put the stars in the sky. How easy would it be for Him to knock over a statue? Right? Elijah did it. He went in and knocked all the, all the idols down. One of my favorite stories, he goes in and he's in front of Jezebel and Ahab, just knocks all their... I thought, man, I like that guy. But you know what? God did it from heaven and just brought it down and brought it into its proper, proper place on its face before the ark. You know what? When men and women will not glorify God, He will glorify Himself. God will not sit back and share His throne with anybody. And He isn't, just, he isn't thrilled just to be in your top ten. Amen? He isn't thrilled that he's fifth on your list. Well, God, you, you know you're moving up. You used to be eighth, now you're fifth. I put you ahead of, you know, beer and poker now, so you're fifth. You know, Lord, you're moving, on, you're moving your way up the list, Lord. You're getting there. You're right below football. You're getting there, though, man. You're getting there. God doesn't want to be fifth or second. Amen? And he will share the throne with no one. And here they've tried to put the ark of God... And again, the ark is not God, but it represents God's presence and God's glory. And the truth is that God's not done with Israel yet, so He's got to get the ark back to Israel. And, the, and the, the Israel's not coming to get it, so God's going to work out a way where the Philistines are going to want to send it back. And we're going to see it happen in the chapter. God would not allow them to believe in the power of a dead idol over a living God. They broke the first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall serve no graven image. And again, just as this false god was laying on the ground before the ark of God, so too one day, every follower of the false gods will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Buddha is going to be on his face before Jesus. Muhammad, on his face before Jesus. And unless those council members who voted to make us the baby-killing capital of the United States get saved, they're going to be on their face repenting before Jesus too. Amen? Pastor Dave's stirred up about that, I know. But you know what? Baby-killing is wrong, isn't it? And we don't, you know what? And again, I'm not a super political guy. But there's nothing political about killing babies. Nothing political about it. It's just straight wrong. Now, if the Lord is not given the proper place in our lives, it will end in destruction. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. It's not Him blending into my way of life, but me dying to my will, my way, and being conformed to His image. So it says there, so they took Dagon, they took Dagon and set him up in his place again. So Dagon had fallen over, 
They went in there. I didn't know how the big the idol was. I have an idea. It's probably a pretty good size. So probably got a bunch of guys together, went in there and set their, their God back up and dusted him off and, you know, had their, okay, God's all better, and then left him there. You know, I thought about that Life Alert commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up, you know. <laughs> Dagon, I've fallen and I can't get up. Again, if, you're, if your God falls and he can't get up, he's not God. So they, they play off some, this miracle as some random accident. And that's what the world does. God moves in a mighty way and they try to get some explanation for it that doesn't include God. Kind of like the creation of the universe. Right? Well, that was this big explosion in this you know, thing. and take a whole lot more faith to believe that. Amen? takes a whole lot more faith. Lest they continue to miss it, God was going to make it even more clear. Okay, you didn't get it that time? Let me make it really clear to you. Verse 4. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshing floor, on the, on the thresher, threshold, excuse me. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Now what are you going to say? Fell over yesterday, you picked it back up, now you're going to need some Bondo or something, right? Where's the head? Give me the hands, you know, putting your God back together. Now again, God is giving them an opportunity to repent. Imagine the horror of the Philistine priests when they entered the temple the next morning and saw not only their God bowing before the, before the Lord, they saw the head of Dagon and the palms of his hands broken off on the threshold and his torso just laying there. Now, is that an accident two days in a row? I don't think so. Now, in those days, when you went out to fight a battle, you know what you often did when you won and when you killed your enemy? You cut off his head and his hands to prove that you had won the victory. When David later, this reminds me of David and Goliath. Because wasn't Goliath the giant, right? Like the fish god and the ark, picture of Jesus, but here, you know, the son of David is, is our Messiah. And here's David. He went out and fought Goliath, who was a Philistine. And when he slayed the Philistine, what did he do? He cut off his head with his own sword. Here we see a foreshadow and a picture of that. God's letting them know, yeah, my people have messed up, but I'm still God. And I'm not going to share my throne with anybody. And that is a fish God made with hands. And I'm not sweating the fish God. Amen? I'm not worried about the fish God. I'm not worried about the idol. And just to make sure you understand that, his head and his hands are getting lopped off. So they come in, and now their God's laying on the ground in pieces. Now, your God is laying on the ground in pieces. You've got some choices to make. Put your God back together and continue to worship Him or realize He's probably not God and I need to find out who, this ark of the, who, who the God of Israel is. And that was really the choice that they had to make. Continue to serve their dead God or learn more about the true and living God. Should have been no doubt who the true and living God is now. An opportunity for them to repent. Make the true and living God the God of the Philistines. But look what it says. In verse 5, therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So instead of repenting, they got superstitious. 
They said, oh man, you know, the day our God fell over in there and fell into pieces, so you know what, let's just not step in that threshold where he fell over anymore. Must be something about the threshold that made him fall. So let's just not step on that anymore. Instead of getting right with God, let's put up some superstitious religious you know, thing that we can attribute the problem to instead. And so instead of repenting before God, they make a religious statement about it. Instead of repenting at the revelation of the true and living God, so embarrassed were the Philistines at the mocking of their God, they forever after chose not to set foot in this place again. Note again, despite the evidence, they would not believe and repent, chose to believe it was an accident, wanted a God that would expect nothing of them. That's what we're going to talk about the rest of the chapter here. Why is it they keep holding on to the fish God? Because the fish God doesn't want anything from them. The fish God is never going to convict them for anything. The fish God has no direction or guidelines for their life. The fish God's just kind of there, right? And he falls down a lot. And so for them, they want a God that, that is a God of their own creation that they control. Not a God that they would have to serve. It's interesting that the head is, represents wisdom and the hands represent strength. And guess what? This God had no wisdom and no strength. Amen? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, not the fear of the fish idol. Amen? So this broken idol had neither. So I serve God in my own way. When I don't give God His proper place in my life on the throne, and when I expect to blend God into my way of life, God, you just kind of, this is the way I'm living, and God, you want to be my God, just jump in here anywhere you want to. But I'm going to keep going in the direction I'm going. I don't want to have to change my life. And then lastly, rather than repent, I try to remove the source of conviction. Look what it says here in verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. Now they wouldn't repent when the fish god fell into pieces. And it's amazing how when God gives us one opportunity, if we just close our ears to Him, He will do more things to get our attention. And sometimes the second thing, and most of the time the second thing, is more harsh than the first one. Well, you won't hear what I have to say. Let me get your attention another way. So watch what happens. I knocked your God over twice. I broke him into pieces. Great opportunity for you to repent. You still don't want to? Okay, let's try this. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors. Now the word for tumors there is hemorrhoids. That's what the word means in the original language. He struck them with hemorrhoids. Now, that's God's way of getting your attention, amen? You won't fess up when the fish God falls over and breaks into pieces, hemorrhoids. Now, there is one other possible interpretation because later it talks about rats in 1 Samuel chapter 6, and some believe it was actually the bubonic plague. So I'm, I'm thinking hemorrhoids is pretty light compared to the bubonic plague. So in either case, not good. It's always better to listen to God the first time, Amen? It's always better to just say, okay, Lord, I got it. Yes, Lord, I repent. Yes, Lord, I'm going to get right. As opposed to waiting. And sadly, what's happening here is rather than repent, they try to remove, they're going to try to remove the source of conviction as the hand now comes heavy upon them. When we close our ears to God, He often finds another way to speak to us. Now, look what's happened in a not very short amount of time. They went from thinking they had accomplished a great feat in capturing the God of Israel to quickly being struck in physically by God 
And we notice that that great fleshly victory didn't last very long. And the same is true for our lives, guys. We win great battles in our flesh, and you know what? That peace or that you know, sense of accomplishment is not going to last long. It says there at the end of verse 6, He ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. So everybody in the city has either hemorrhoids or the bubonic plague. I'm thinking the ark's not looking so good in the fish god's house anymore. I'm thinking they're realizing, you know what? God is pretty great. He's doing this without an army. Verse 7. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us. For his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon, our God. Now, I'm blown away by the last three words of that verse. The God of Israel is harsh toward us, and Dagon, our God who's in pieces over there. They still refer to Dagon as their God. Their headless, handless, fallen on the ground, broken God. And we laugh about it, but the sad part is, are the gods of this world any better than that God? They're false gods. But what a rebellion in the heart of man that they would rather have a broken down, you know, headless, handless fish God for a God than to repent and turn to the true and the living God. Here's why. They finally recognize that it's the hand of God that is against them, but rather than repent, they just want Him removed from their presence. If we can just get the ark out of here, we can go back to our old sinful ways and not feel convicted anymore. Maybe if the ark goes, the hemorrhoids or the bubonic plague will go with it. And we can just go back to living our pagan life and we can you know, get a team together to put Dagon back together and set him back up and just go back to our old way of life. Rather than be convicted over their sin, they just want to remove the source of conviction. The same is true today. When someone brings the sins of people to the forefront, rather than repent, they try to remove the source of conviction. Why does our, why does our so many, quote, people want separation of church and state? Because they don't want to hear about God at school. Why? Because they don't want to be convicted about their sin. Since we've taken prayer and the Bible out of school, have things gotten better or worse? The problem used to be chewing gum. Now it's bringing AK-47s to school. I think things have gotten worse. Amen? And this is what happens when we want to remove the very thing that brings conviction instead of repenting before God. Outlaw God and He'll go away. Make a resolution making us the baby-killing county of the United States. And boy, won't that be wonderful. Man, just shaking their fists at God when they do things like that. Rather than repent of our sin, rather than come before God broken, we try to remove the consequences of it, and the future conviction that would keep us from continuing in it. They chose Dagon, a dead God they would have to glue back together over the true and living God. And why did they do that? Because worshiping the Lord instead of dead Dagon meant a huge change in the way they thought and in the way they lived. And they didn't want to change. Guys, we don't come before God and give Him a list of things that we're going to hang on to. We don't come before God and let Him know, this is how my life's going to be, God, and if you want to take me with me continuing on in this behavior, then fine. If not, I'll pass. We come broken before God because our lives are a disaster without Him. Amen? And we say, Lord, I need You. I'm desperate for You. Lord, my life belongs to You. 
And we need to come to that place where we don't try to rid ourselves of conviction, but we welcome it, realizing that God's using it to draw us back into Him. Many refuse to repent because repentance requires change. So rather than repent, they remained in their sin and sent the source of conviction away. Look at verse 8. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines. What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they said, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. And what are they doing? Gath is another Philistine city. So we're plagued here. we got bubonic plague or hemorrhoids. Either way, it's not fun. Our fish god has fallen into pieces. Let's send the ark down to Gath and let them have it for a while. Let's pass the buck. Let's send the hot potato down the road. Instead of confessing our sin and getting right with God, let's just send away the source of our conviction. They try to pass on the buck to another city. Problem is, we can't get rid of God. We can try and push Him away, but we'll still stand before Him one day. Guys, you can try to push God away. You're still going to have to face Him. Dagon Dagon cannot stand in the presence of God. And the key to seeing Dagon's, the Dagon's in our life, and let me say this, I want to take a minute. Dagon couldn't stand before God. Why? Because God is holy and perfect and Dagon is a statue. And Dagon in this illustration is a picture kind of the evil and the struggles of our life and notice that the way Dagon was gotten rid of was that God didn't attack Dagon as much as he, he brought the ark into the presence of Dagon guys the way that you and I get over the struggles and the difficulties of life is not to attack the thing that we're struggling with but instead to bring God into our lives live in his presence and you won't have to worry about the other stuff amen too often we're trying to, you know, put the darkness out. We don't need to put the darkness out or attack the darkness. Just flip on the light switch. Amen? You want to, you know, if you're struggling with something, you're struggling with, I'll just take something simple. Let's say you're struggling with smoking. I knew someone who's struggling with smoking, had a really hard time with it for years, tried every patch and every different thing, and you know when she finally quit smoking? She said, I just fell passionately in love with the Lord and I forgot to smoke. And it's so true, instead of trying to attack the evil thing and get rid of it, just fall in love with the Lord and let Him get rid of it. Let Him wipe it out. Dagon couldn't stand in the presence of God, and the difficulties and the struggles and the the sinful things of our lives cannot stand in the presence of Almighty God. So let's just hang out in His presence, amen? And Dagon fell. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And again, those idols of men. Let's not be focused on them, but instead the glory of God. So they send the the idol down to Gath. How do you think it's going to work out for Gath? So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. Verse 9. So it was, after they had carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. So bubonic plague came with the ark or hemorrhoids. Either way, not good. Now the people of Gath are probably real happy with Ashdod right about now. What do you think? They sent us down a present. Thanks a lot, guys. We appreciate it. Now again, but here's an opportunity for the people of Gath to get right with God, to realize there's power behind the God of Israel. I need to get right with Him. Or for them to do the same thing and try to take away the very thing that brings about conviction or makes them realize that they're falling short and their desperate needs. Notice something. 
The judgment is consistent upon all who reject God. Different city, same God, same opportunity for repentance, same judgment upon unbelief. So, it doesn't matter where in the world people live. It's the same God, same opportunity for salvation, same judgment upon unbelief. Gath did not repent, chose instead to remove the source of conviction. Look what they do, verse 10. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Now understand, these are all cities with their relatives in them. Does this this show how self-centered we are when it comes to our sinful behavior? We just don't care about anybody. As long as it's not me that has the hemorrhoids, just get it out of here. Just give it to somebody. Give it to my cousins. I don't care. Just don't let me have it. And again, the self-centeredness. Now look what it says. So it was, the ark of God came to Ekron, and the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Now they're crying out, but we don't see repentance here, do we? They're not saying, Lord God, forgive us. Lord God, save us. Lord God, heal us. They're just saying, Lord God, they're just saying, we're in trouble. They're in anguish. Not conviction or repentance, not brokenness before God. They're in anguish because they know the power behind the God of the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 11. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the Ark of God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a very deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. Notice again, where are there any people standing up for God here? Not one person. But God's glory is still going to be revealed. God is not going to be mocked. God is still going to bring about righteous judgment. Verse 12. And the men who did not die, so that means a lot of them did, right? And the men who did not die were stricken with hemorrhoids or the bubonic plague, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. They finally come to a place where they're dying and now the rest, those who aren't dying, are in torment and in torture. And now finally they cry out to God. They cry out to heaven. Isn't it interesting how I've, ever, I've never heard of a drowning man yell Buddha. Not once. Never. You know, you never hear of that. You never hear a guy crying out for Hare Krishna. It just doesn't happen, does it? Nobody cries out to the great omnipotent being greater than myself in the stratosphere. They don't cry out to that. Who do they cry out to? Lord, God, Jesus, help. You know why? Because when we come to the very end of ourselves, we realize that there is only one true and living God. Because He created us in His image. He he gave us that God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill. And even these guys finally come to the place where they cry out to heaven. What's interesting about all this, God is bringing judgment upon the Philistines, but He's showing grace to Israel. You know why? Because the ark's going to come back. They had blown it. They couldn't have atonement. They couldn't have worship. They could not, you know, have the sacrificial system. It was all taken away when the ark left, and and it was taken away because of their rebellion. But what a gracious God that he's bringing judgment upon the Philistines, but really what he's doing is he's getting to the place where the Philistines are going to send the ark back so that Israel can get right with God. What a gracious God we serve. 
The Philistines, if they had repented and turned toward the Lord, could have benefited from the ark. Instead, it became a curse and a judgment to them. What does that sound like? The cross. The cross today is a source of grace and redemption or a place of eternal judgment. Its salvation is offered universally, but must be accepted individually. And every one of us, the cross is either a stone of offense or it's the place of our salvation. It's the power of God. And so we see this picture that happened thousands of years ago does have a clear application for each of us. So in closing, in serving a God, serving God in my own way, how do I do that? I don't give God His proper place in my life. On the throne. Guys, God needs to be on the throne. Number two, I expect God to blend into my way of life. To accept whatever level of priority I give Him. Lord, here's where you can be in my life. No, He needs to be Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Amen? And then thirdly, rather than repent, I try to remove the source of conviction so I can continue to feel good about my sin. Guys, we need accountability. Praise God for the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Amen? And when He convicts us, it's because He loves us and He knows what's best for us. Why do people go out and get drunk? You know why? It dumbs down conviction. Right? Why do people go out and do things where it dumbs down conviction so they continue on their sinful behavior? God's desire would be that we walk in so close to Him that we can hear Him whisper and we can respond in faithful obedience because we know that He loves us. You know what? The glory had departed from Israel, but praise God, He was going to give them another chance. Maybe you're here tonight and your walk with God is not what it once was. You can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Amen? And you know what? He's a God of love and grace and mercy. And He reaches out to you in love and says, you know what? I'm right here. I want to have restored fellowship with you. No matter what you've done to walk away from me, I still love you. When the prodigal son came home, the father killed the fatted calf and had a huge party. And God will do the same for us tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord. You are a great and awesome God. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that, Lord, You would be glorified in our lives. Lord, we know Your glory is not going to be diminished by us, but Lord, we want to be a part of magnifying Your name. Lord, we want to represent You to a lost and a dying world. Father, help us to make You the priority, not one of the priorities. Lord, may our every thought, our every decision, our every word that comes out of our mouth, Lord, may it go through the the Holy Spirit filter, Lord. May all of it be done, Lord, as we're looking unto You and, and, Lord, pursuing after You with our whole hearts. And then, Father, when You bring conviction, may we not see conviction as a bad thing, but a good thing. As discipline from a loving Heavenly Father who knows what's best for us. And so, Father, I just thank You and praise You for everybody that's in this room tonight. Lord, I do lift up this county to You, Lord. And Father, we know that You're still in control and You always will be. We know that no matter what the elected officials may decide, You're still in control. But Father, we do pray. You just give us wisdom in knowing how to reach the people of this county that so desperately need to know about You. Father, give us a passion for them. Help us to see the people in this county through Your eyes. To love them the way that You do. And Father, I do pray for the other churches here in Santa Cruz County. There's one church. We just meet in many locations. And Lord, I pray we'd be united in our passion and our love for You and our burden for the lost. Help us, Lord, to reflect You in a godly way, even amidst an ungodly county. So Lord, we love You and we praise You and we 
We worship you, Lord. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.